Hello, this is Pastor Matthew. I just want to take a moment personally to say thank you so much for taking time to listen to this podcast. Our mission is to impact the valley and bless the nations with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We encourage you to go check out our website at crosslinkva.com. By doing so, you can learn all about the ministries of Crosslink and how we're involved in the community. Please know we're praying for you. God bless you. Thank you so much, Pastor Scott, and thank you, band, for doing a wonderful job and leading us in worship. Aren't you thankful to know we are not alone? The Lord is with us, and uh, Jesus has already won the victory. He won it on the cross when he gave his life for us. Of course, he was put into a tomb, and three days later, rose again from the grave. And so we don't fight for the victory today. We fight from it because Christ has already won it, and so we praise him for that today. I want to ask you, if you have your Bibles today, to open them with me to the New Testament book of Ephesians, to Ephesians chapter 6. Uh, for our time together this morning as we open God's Word and study it uh, here together. As Pastor Scott already mentioned a few moments ago, uh, we have been in a series throughout most of this year called Invited to Ask, where we have been reminded of both our privilege and our calling to be a people of prayer. And uh, this Sunday, today, is the last series in this sermon called Invited to to ask. And of course, my hope and prayer is that while the series is coming to an end, uh, it certainly hopefully will not be the end of our prayer time, that we will be a people, a godly people devoted to prayer, seeking God in conversation and seeking God in relationship and any need and concern and burden that we don't just try to man up and handle our own, but we take it to God and we bring it to him and we seek him in prayer. And my hope in all that is that we would recognize in prayer that we, as we've heard throughout the series, that God is able to do far beyond what we could ask, think, or imagine. God is able to do far beyond that. And my hope with that is that that will cause us not to give up in prayer, but to continue pressing in and continue pressing on and having a life of prayer. Uh, there are oftentimes many things that can discourage us from being a people of prayer. And I was reminded of that importance that God is able to do more than we could ask, think, or imagine as we're faithful in prayer. I was reminded in thinking of that through an illustration that I heard many, many years ago about a little boy named Johnny. Johnny was five years old and he had understood that his mommy was pregnant and was going to have a baby. In fact, she was just a few months away at that point. And so Johnny one day was sitting down talking with his dad and he began to tell his dad, he said, Daddy, he said, I really want to have a little brother. Like I'm really, I really, really hope that the baby in mommy's belly is a, is, is a little boy. I want to have a baby brother. And so the dad looked at little Johnny and said, well, Johnny, if you want to have a baby brother, here's what you need to do. You need to pray every single day for the next two months that God will give you a baby brother. And I promise you, at the end of two months, God will give you a baby brother. Well, of course, with the faith of a child, that optimism, he took his dad's word for what it was. He began to pray every single night, man. He went to his room and he would, I mean, just pour his little heart out to God. And he, oh, he'd beg God every day, God, would you let me have a baby brother? Please let me have a little brother. He did that day one and day two. He was just zealous and diligent, had a lot of faith, constantly praying for God to give him a baby brother. Well, he did that for about a month. And finally, as that month was coming to an end, he began to talk to some other little boys in the neighborhood about how he had been praying for a baby brother. And he just knew God was going to give him a baby brother. But you know, some of the older boys in the neighborhood explained to him that that's not really how it always works. You can't just pray for a baby brother. And two months later, the baby brother's here. And so he listened to those older boys and he began to doubt whether or not God could answer his prayer. And so after his first month of praying, 
he decided that that, since God didn't work that way, he was just going to stop praying. So the second month, he didn't pray at all for a baby brother. Finally, the day came. He knew that the day was there because his grandparents were taking care of him at home. And finally, they got the phone call from the hospital that the baby had been born and all was well. And so they brought little Johnny to the hospital to see mom and dad. They brought Johnny into the room and the dad with a big smile on his face held this baby and handed it to little Johnny and said, Johnny, I want you to meet your baby brother. And then thinking this is a great teaching lesson, the dad said, Johnny, aren't you so thankful that you prayed? Aren't you glad that you prayed for those two months? Little Johnny recognizing and knowing he'd really only prayed for a month, he was processing it all. When all of a sudden the dad had the surprise of a lifetime the dad moved out of the way to show another little baby crib, and he said, now I want you to meet the twin baby brother. You now have two brothers, Johnny. Aren't you so thankful that you prayed? Look what God did. And Johnny, with the wisdom of a five-year-old, looked up at his daddy and said, Daddy, aren't you thankful that I only prayed for one month? I believe there are some things in our life we need to be reminded that God is able to do far beyond what we could ask, think, or imagine. So I want to encourage us, don't just pray for the day, don't just pray for the week, don't just pray for the season or even the month. Let's be faithful to be a people of prayer. We see that in our pastor scripture today in Ephesians chapter 6. When we think about prayer, for example, we often think of prayer in the nature of a conversation with God. We'll see that in our text today. Sometimes we think of prayer, we think about those moments of crisis and those moments of desperation and need where we bring these things to God and we, we ask in prayer. But I believe what God wants us to see from Ephesians chapter 6 is that there's another vital part of prayer that we cannot miss, and that is this. Prayer is the way that we stand firm in the midst of the spiritual battle that is going on all around us. Prayer is the way that we stand firm in the midst of the spiritual battle that is going on all around us. You may this morning have never considered the thought of a spiritual battle or spiritual warfare, if you will. Maybe you've never considered the idea that there are challenges that are going on spiritually beyond what we physically see, that in the spirit realm there are wars that are taking place. We, we often in our culture don't like to think of hostile realities such as that. We like to hear words of peace and we like to hear words of calm and things in many ways that make us feel good. But the Bible says that the Christian life is like a battleground and that as we live the Christian life, we face a very real enemy. That enemy is called the devil, or he's given the name Satan, which literally means he is the accuser of the brethren. And the Bible says, whether we like it or not, whether we physically see it or not, that we are in the midst of a spiritual war that is being waged. It's interesting to note that because in our own life, whether we've seen it or not, we likely have sensed that before. We've sensed that sense of conviction that there is something that God is wanting us to do. There's something that he's wanting to accomplish. There's some action that he's calling us to. And at the same time, we could also acknowledge this sense of being pulled away from that. While we can't see it, we can certainly discern the spiritual battle and understand that it's real. It's very interesting to me that even in Hollywood today that frankly is very skeptical and I would even say opposed to the things of God. Even in Hollywood today, we depict this spiritual battle oftentimes in a movie or in a sitcom or perhaps even in a cartoon. 
Someone will be facing an action. They'll be facing a choice of situations before them. And all of a sudden, right over their shoulder, a cute little fuzzy red devil with a pitchfork and a pointy tail will show up on their shoulder. And that, that devil, if you will, will say, you should do this, do whatever you want, whatever the situation is. And then suddenly, as soon as the devil's done talking, there's this little heavenly angelic being leading them a totally different direction. It's amazing to me that even in Hollywood that opposes the things of God, even they have discerned that there is a spiritual battle that's being waged, that's leading us from one direction to another. The reality is, is that for the Christian, if you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, the Bible says we are facing this spiritual battle that's going on all around us. While those depictions of Hollywood may seem innocent and lighthearted, it is true that a spiritual battle is taking place. In fact, the very moment, if you're here today and you've accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, the very moment you trusted in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, frankly, you began to experience this reality of spiritual warfare. Think for just a moment. Think back before you accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Before you trusted in Jesus, before you lived in him, frankly, Satan was not opposed to you. There was no reason for him to attack you. Before you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, frankly, the Bible says without Christ, literally our eyes are blinded by the little G God of this age, the devil himself. We don't even realize our need for a Savior before Christ. The Bible says it's Satan that does that. So Satan doesn't war against us without Jesus. He doesn't war against us. Why? Because he has us right where he wants us, completely blinded and completely deceived. But the very moment, the very moment the Holy Spirit of God opens our eyes, the very moment the Holy Spirit of God convicts us of sin, the very moment we call out to Jesus and say, Jesus, I need you to save me. Would you be the Lord of my life and change me? God, would you intervene in my life and make me a brand new person? The very moment we do that, friend, the good news is we are encouraged and we are saved and we are changed and we're made a brand new creation. That very moment, God puts his Holy Spirit within us, that very moment, but also in that moment, the Bible makes it clear that the enemy, Satan, begins to war against us. And I believe what God wants us to see this morning is that we don't have to be hopeless and we don't have to be discouraged and we don't have to be defeated and beat up by the devil. God wants us to stand firm, to stand firm in prayer. The Bible tells us in 2 Timothy chapter 2, a very powerful image, if you will, of what Paul says is true of every Christian. And that is that the very moment we say yes to Jesus, yes, we're forgiven and saved, but we are also enlisted in this spiritual army, this spiritual war, if you will. We are enlisted as a soldier of the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to what the apostle Paul said to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 through 4. He said, suffer hardship with me as a good what? soldier of Christ Jesus. We don't want to say that no soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life so that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. So like it or not, whether you knew it or not, if you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you have been adopted into God's family. You have been enlisted into God's service as a soldier of the Lord. And I believe what God wants us to see this morning is he wants us to see how we can be an effective soldier for the Lord's army in the midst of this spiritual battle. Friend, I want you to know this morning, when I think about what God is doing here at Crosslink, it is nothing short of amazing how God is working in people's hearts and lives to draw people to himself. 
how souls are being saved, how many have been baptized this year and will be baptized in a few weeks. It's been so encouraging to see how God is working to bring healing and restoration to various relationships and situations. It's encouraging and it's incredible to see how God is calling some to ministry and God is calling some out to go as missionaries to Nicaragua and Costa Rica and Montreal. and all. Man, it's incredible to see what God is doing. But I want to remind us in the midst of what God is doing to be aware that we have an enemy, Satan himself, who will do anything and everything that he can to hinder us from what God is wanting and is calling us to do. So how can we resist him? We resist him by standing firm in prayer. I wanna ask you this morning, if you're able to do so, would you stand to your feet for the reading of God's word? Ephesians chapter six, we're gonna read verses 10 through 18, but really for our time together today, we're gonna focus on one verse, and that is verse 18. The Bible says this, beginning in verse 10. Finally, be strong in the who? The Lord, and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day. And having done everything to do what? Stand firm. So stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, in addition to all, taking up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Key verse, verse 18. With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. And with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we love you today and we thank you for your love for us. We thank you for the power of your word. And God, I pray that right now in this moment that you would speak to us through your word. God, whatever distractions may be present in our minds, whatever distractions may be present in our lives, God, I pray that they would be removed for just a moment. We could tune them all out so that we could focus in on what you are wanting to say. God, we have ears to hear, but I pray that we would not just hear with our physical ears, but may we hear with the very innermost beings of our life and may we be transformed as we respond in faith and obedience to you. Father, we ask these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated this morning. Standing firm in prayer. Many years ago in 1824, there was a young child, of course, a baby born named Thomas Jonathan Jackson, who was born in Clarksburg, West Virginia. By all appearances at that time, he had a very troubled life. In fact, as a young boy, he experienced the death of many of his older siblings and actually a few children that were born after him. Even as a young boy, his father suddenly died. His mom remarried and they moved to another place. Shortly thereafter, she too became very ill and died. At that point, he was moved to a place called Jackson's Mill, Virginia. And in 1842, he enrolled in the U.S. Military Academy at West Point. Frankly, he struggled in school. 
He was not a very good student. He had to work really, really hard for everything that he accomplished and everything that he did. In fact, he was one of those students that struggled so greatly that many people would recognize him as someone that history would likely never record or know a whole lot about. After he graduated from there, he spent some time in the Mexican-American War, and after that, he began to serve as a teacher, a professor at the Virginia Military Institute. He's renoted as having a very odd and quirky personality, a guy who had lots of unique things about him. And because of that, frankly, he often seemed on and out of place. He didn't make a lot of friends. He wasn't very well connected. And he wasn't the best professor that VMI ever had. In 1864, the Civil War had taken place, had begun, and he, of course, entered as a potential leader. He became a colonel, and then by time, he became a general in the Civil War for the Confederate Army. At the Battle of Bull Run, the army that he was leading, the Confederate Army at that time, was trying to basically gain ground in this one specific hill at the Battle of Bull Run. They saw it at the time as a very strategic place. If they could own the hill, they would own the battle. But unfortunately for the Confederate army on that particular occasion, there was a lapse in their line. Their soldiers began to retreat. They began to take on all sorts of opposition from their adversary, if you will. And in that moment, in order for the Confederate army to win and have success on the battlefield that day, they needed someone with courage. They needed someone with bravery and boldness, someone to stand up and hold the line and to man that hill, if you will. But at the moment, there was none. As soon as he heard about it, Thomas Jonathan Jackson, without hesitation, without reservation, he immediately led his group of soldiers to run up that hill, to gain footing of that hill, and there they stood. They were in a dangerous position. All sorts of things were being fired at them. This was a vulnerable place to be, but they stood right in the midst of it all. In fact, so strong was their stand that a Union general commented that there the general stood like a stone wall. In fact, the Union general stated that really as a term of, of frustration and anger, that this guy cannot be moved. Even though they were bringing everything they could, he was standing firm on that hill. Of course, we know the history then of that battle and now the history of the entire Civil War, but we simply know the man today as General Stonewall Jackson. Well, I'm not here today to repeat every aspect of the Civil War, nor am I saying that the components for which it was comprised are good and noble. I'm simply saying to us that in the same way that he stood as a stone wall in the midst of opposition, I believe what God is calling us to do as Christians today is this. He's wanting us to recognize there is a spiritual battle that is going on against us, but we don't have to fear, we don't have to retreat, we don't have to back down in doubt and insecurity. We can walk forward in faith, standing firm in prayer. In Ephesians chapter 6, I believe that there are four things that God wants us to see about praying in the midst of the spiritual Battle. Four things I want us to see. Number one, I want us to consider this. I believe God wants us to understand that when we face this spiritual battle, we must pray through the conflict. We must pray through the conflict. When I say pray through the conflict, I want us to understand that so often when we face adversity and difficulty, we begin to pray, God, would you set me free? God, would you deliver me from this? God, would you rescue me from this crisis immediately? We don't like the crisis. 
I don't like the crisis. I don't like being uncomfortable. I don't like when God is bringing these things to test my faith. I don't like when these things are happening for God to further mold me and shape me in times. It's uncomfortable. But what I believe God is wanting us to see is we must pray through the conflict. In order for us to do that, we need to first recognize we are indeed in a conflict. In Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 12, we see Paul giving us this powerful illustration where he's saying, listen, you're going to face hard times. You're going to face some difficulties. So here's what you need to do. You need to be strong in the Lord. Now, our culture says, you've got this. Our culture says, you were made for this. Our culture says, pull up your bootstraps and work hard and you can do anything. Just believe in yourself. But what God is wanting us to see, God is wanting us to see that the victory in the midst of spiritual battle the perseverance in the spiritual battle. It's not about my abilities. It's not about my experience. It's not about my education. It's not about my skills. It is not within me to resist this enemy. It is within the Lord Jesus Christ. I must be strong in the Lord. In fact, the Bible tells us very clearly in the book of Ephesians chapter one, that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is the power that is at work in us and through us as we stand firm in him. Why do we need the strength of the Lord? We need the strength of the Lord simply because the enemy that we face is greater than us in and of ourselves. The enemy that we face is greater and he is persistent and he does all that he can do to try to hinder us from the things that God has for us. Maybe you're here this morning, you'd say, well, pastor, I don't, I don't feel ready for that challenge. I, I can't do that. I can't, I can't battle against Satan. I can't overcome in this spiritual battle. Here's the reality. If you're at the place where you realize you can't do it, you're right where God wants you to be. Because God wants us to be in a place where we recognize, I can't do it, but we can know the one who can. In fact, not only can we know the one who can, we can know and serve and worship and follow the one who's already defeated Satan by dying and raising again from the grave. Why do we need this? Because the Bible says that the devil is consistent and persistent in his schemes against us. Verse 11, put on the full armor of God so that you'll be able to stand firm against the schemes of of the devil. Satan is persistent in his schemes, is he not? It seems like he knows when we are most vulnerable. It seems like he knows when we are most weak. It seems like he knows uh, when we are most discouraged. He is persistent in his schemes. There are many things that Satan may bring against us in our life to try to hinder us from being the person God wants us to be or from doing the things that God wants us to do. But I believe the Bible tells us three specific things that we see all throughout the Bible, from, from all the way from Genesis to Revelation, we see these things present. They're listed in your worship guide, so I would encourage you to write them down. What are three schemes that Satan brings against us in this spiritual conflict? The first thing I would say is this, Satan seeks to deceive us. One of the main schemes he brings against us is that he seeks to deceive us. Jesus said it this way in John 8, verse 44, Satan, the Bible says... Jesus says he was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. In other words, we understand this morning that the devil will lie to you, he will lie about you, and he will lead you to lie. He is the great deceiver. All the way from the very beginning, as we see that interaction unfolding in the book of Genesis, as Satan is tempting Eve, 
We see from the very beginning that he is a deceiver who will lie to us. In fact, if you remember the story as Satan is tempting Eve, he came to Eve as she was in the garden that day, and he begins a conversation with her. And in the conversation, he is tempting her to eat of this specific tree, to eat of this specific fruit that God has said is off limits. And so she begins to interact with Satan and she says to him, no, God has said, I cannot eat of this. That if I eat of this, the day that I eat of it, I will surely die. And Satan tempts her. He begins to deceive her and says, oh, no, 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 no. God has told you not to eat of it, but it's only because God doesn't want you to be as wise as him. God knows that when you eat of it, you will be as knowledgeable and as wise as him, knowing the difference between good and evil. And God doesn't want you to be as great and mighty as he is. Eve gives in to that temptation. She hears that deception, and the very next statement says this, and she saw that the tree was good for food. What God said was bad, she now said was good. And so she took of it, and she ate of it. And of course, she gave it to Adam, and Adam ate of it. And guess what happened in that moment? The Bible says they took of it. No doubt they probably enjoyed that first bite. No doubt it was probably pleasurable in the moment. It, it fed their bellies for a second, if you will. But the Bible makes it clear. Yes, after eating of it, their eyes were wide open. Yes, they knew now the difference between good and evil. Satan was right about that. But he didn't tell them about all the shame and all the pain and all the disease and all the death that would soon follow because of this act of disobedience. One writer said it this way, Satan gives you everything he promised and everything you never wanted. Satan gives you everything he promised. Oh, it was good. Yeah, it'll feed your belly. Oh, it'll open your eyes. But it also gives you everything you never wanted. It gives you the shame. It gives you the pain. It gives you the devastation and the destruction. Why? Because Satan is a deceiver. Matthew chapter four, as Jesus is there in the wilderness, Satan tempts Jesus. And in his temptation, he's literally trying to deceive the very son of God. You can rest assured, if Satan would deceive Eve, and if Satan would strive to deceive Jesus himself, he is certainly gonna strive to deceive us. Satan seeks to deceive us. That is one of his schemes, but there's another scheme. Satan also seeks to distract us. He seeks to distract us and to separate us, to hinder us from the vision and the mission and the purpose that God has for our lives. Jesus looked at Peter in Luke chapter 22, verse 31 and said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat. In other words, he is saying, Peter, Satan wants to hinder you and distract you and separate you from me and separate you from the brethren and separate you from the purpose for which I've called you to follow me. And then, of course, you know, a few weeks later, Peter's there in the courtyard and Jesus has been taken into trial, into custody, and, and they're putting him on trial, basically, in, in a moment of fear and pressure and temptation, no doubt a moment of, of anxiety and uncertainty. Peter not only dismissed the fact that he knew Jesus, but he cursed and said, I've never known him. And instantly the rooster crowed, and what happened? Peter realized his sin. He realized what he'd done, and the Bible says literally, he separated himself away from the presence of Jesus and the presence of the disciples, and he went there, and he grieved, and he wept. So, Pastor, what are you saying? I'm saying that Satan had tempted him and schemed against him in such a way he sought to distract him and pull him away from the very purpose for which God had called him. 
Satan does the same in our life in many ways as it seeks to distract us from the calling and the mission and the purpose that he has for us in our lives. But the third thing we see about the schemes of Satan is this. We see ultimately that Satan's schemes are intended for the purpose of destroying us. Jesus said it this way in John chapter 10, verses 10 through 11. The thief, that's what Jesus called him, comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy, but I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I'm the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Did you hear that? He's the thief who comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Satan wants to destroy us. He wants to destroy you. He wants to destroy your marriage. He wants to destroy this church. That is his intent. That is part of his scheme. That's why Peter said it this way in 1 Peter 5 verse 8. Be of sober spirit. Keep on the alert. Why? Because the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Picture that for just a moment. Could you imagine if we had some uh, some zookeeper of exotic animals who came to visit us here at Cross Link today, and for some reason he were to have brought one of his pets, a mighty powerful lion. Let's pretend for a moment that that lion got out of its cage and came walking up through the lobby of the worship center. How many of you would be so excited to meet this lion face to face that you'd run out the double doors and say, hello, Mr. Lion? Anybody like that? Maybe Pastor Michael, I'm not sure, okay? Our Narnia fan back there. No, we wouldn't do that. If we knew there was a lion on the loose, I mean, we'd be looking and I'd be thinking about which pastor we could send out there first to pray for it or something. I don't know. We wouldn't do that. We'd be terrified. We would not want to face that. But the Bible says in a very real way, the devil's like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. We might have these images in Hollywood that it seems all cute and cuddly and fuzzy and innocent and nonchalant, not that big of a deal. But please understand this morning that Satan is real and his very intent is to destroy us. But I believe one of his most clever schemes and tactics is found in this pastor's scripture in verse 12. Not only does he deceive us, not only does he distract us, not only does he seek to destroy us, but please understand as he does so, as he does so, He does so in such a way that makes us think that our problem is with other people. He does so in a way that divides us and causes us to point at others, blaming others, while all the while we're missing the fact that he's the one behind the whole thing. Listen to what the Bible says in verse 12. For our struggle is not against, say the next phrase with me, flesh and blood. Doesn't it seem that nearly every conflict we have has a name? Well, if only my spouse wouldn't do this. Well, if only so-and-so wouldn't have done this to me. But please understand, our, in this spiritual battle, our conflict is not with our spouse. It's, it's not our pastor. It's not that grouchy neighbor across the street that gives us that suspicious look. Our battle is not our boss. Well, in some cases, maybe it is. No, no, no. Our battle is not against flesh and blood. Satan is so clever in his attacks and in his schemes. Listen, that even in the body of Christ, he can cause us to look at our family, our brothers and sisters in Christ, with looks of suspicion and with looks of disdain and with looks of the fact of thinking, well, they're my problem and it's their issue and it's their fault. If only they hadn't done this. 
And what God is saying is this. He's saying, listen, I want you to understand that Satan is the adversary. Satan is the enemy who does all that he can to distract, to divide, because ultimately his goal is to destroy. Our enemies are not people. We must see beyond them. Satan may use people to persecute us. He may use people to lie to us or cheat us or hurt us or even kill us. But our real enemy lurks in the shadows of the unseen world, moving people as pawns. Charles Stanley said it best. He said it this way. We must be very clear on one point, brothers and sisters in Christ are not our enemies. We need to recognize that the devil attempts to blind us and deceive us so that we will become divided and begin to war against one another rather than against him. Listen to what he said. The real enemy is the devil and his forces acting behind the scenes in every case of spiritual assault. Let me ask you a simple question. How many of you are football fans here today? And by that, I mean American, like real football. That's what I mean, okay? I'm a soccer coach, but football. I don't have an image of this, but I want you to kind of picture how ridiculous it is when sometimes we war against others and act as if they are our opposition. I was watching a football game this past season. I think it was this past season. And I was watching SEC football because if you want to watch good football, that's where you go to watch it, okay? Except for this one particular day. I had the TV on and I was watching a game and it was the Florida Gators playing someone. And I really wasn't all that interested. I was doing some other things, but the game was on in the background and I looked up and I saw this play and I thought, what in the world? And so I backed it up and I watched the play again. And I backed it up and I watched the play again because something about this whole thing just seemed odd. And I began to zoom in. And then finally, when I let it go again, the commentators were talking about how hilarious this was. There literally was a play, and I'm not an offensive lineman, but there was a play where the offensive lineman was in position getting ready to block the defender. And it was one of those plays that the quarterback snaps the ball and it takes a long time to unfold and there's lots of moving pieces. But the offensive lineman got into his position and he began to block and he began to block. At the same time, the running back, I believe it was, ran around to block another defender. And he was engaged and somehow in the midst of this whole transpiring, it happened fast and it happened suddenly. By the end of the play, both guys had stopped blocking the other team the running back had gotten turned around so badly that the offensive lineman had begun to block his own running back. Now, if you're not a football fan, the goal of your team is to defeat the other team, okay? But what happened in this moment, absolutely ridiculous, is literally these two guys were hitting each other. I mean, they were engaged in combat. And not only were they engaged, it was hilarious. They, they had each other in the shoulder pads, and they were both moving together like a dance, you know? Now that that's how you dance, okay? It was ridiculous. As I was preparing for this message, I sat there and thought, how often in our life are we engaged in conflict with our spouse, with our brother or sister in Christ, with our coworker, and we're battling flesh and blood, and we think they're our enemy, and we're trying to overcome them, and we're trying to move forward in our direction, and all the while, Satan's sitting back. <laughs> our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against really spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly realm. So how do we get victory? How do we overcome in these moments of opposition? I believe the Bible tells us how we resist the devil, how we flee temptation, how we stand strong is through prayer. S.D. Gordon said it this way. In its simplest meaning, prayer has to do with a conflict 
Rightly understood, it is the deciding factor in spiritual conflict. And he's right. We must pray through the conflict. Secondly, we are to pray as an ongoing conversation. As we stand firm in prayer, we must recognize that prayer is not just a one-time thing. It's that we are to engage, if you will, in the battle. We are to engage in the conflict through continual, ongoing conversations of prayer. Now, picture the scene for a moment. Every time I have preached through Ephesians chapter 6, and in 16 years of ministry, it's been a lot of times. Every time I've preached through Ephesians 6, I have focused intently on every piece of the armor of God. I mean, because Paul goes through great detail to say, now, now, believer, you're going to stand firm in the Lord. And then Paul takes this picture of a Roman soldier and their armor, if you will, and he gives a spiritual attribute to that. And he says, now listen, you, you've got to have the, 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 the gospel of peace, basically, the shoes, the sandals of peace. You've got to have the, the belt or the girdle of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the shield of faith. You've got to be saved, have the helmet of salvation, take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and you're ready for the battle. Now picture the scene. If you're a soldier, in essence, he's saying, Christian soldier, get up and arm yourself. Put on the armor, get out of bed, make sure you're ready with the shoes of the gospel. Make sure that everything's tucked in by the truth. Make sure that your righteousness is found in Christ. Make sure that you've been saved. Make sure you've got the word of God so that you're ready to go. Now, here's what I want you to do. Here is where the battle is at. Here's how you win in the midst of the spiritual warfare that comes against you. Verse eight, soldier, are you ready? Here's what you do. With all prayer and petition, Pray at all times in the spirit. Paul, you just told me about a sword and a helmet and an armor. You mean to tell me the battle is done through prayer? It's exactly right. Spiritual battles are won. The way that we battle and tear down the strongholds of the enemy, the way that we defeat the spiritual forces of wickedness in high places, it is through prayer. But not just, oh God, would you do this? No, the Bible tells us, verse 18, praying at all times in the spirit. Jerry Rankin reminds us of the importance of praying at all times. He said this, praying at all times in the spirit assures that the armor is in place and that the victory is secure. So as we pray, it is to be an ongoing conversation with God. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17 says it simply, pray without ceasing. It literally means don't stop praying. Well, somebody say, Pastor, does that mean literally like every word that comes out of my mouth needs to be a prayer? Like every breath, every moment of the day, I need to be praying? That's not what the Bible's saying. It'd be very difficult to pray out loud and eat at the same time, okay? Very difficult to pray and sleep at the same time. That's not what the Bible's saying. The Bible's describing here an ongoing conversation, an ongoing connection a constant, continual relationship where because we love God and know God and depend upon God, we are regularly coming to him in an ongoing conversation, bringing every need, every concern, every worry, every joy. We're bringing it all to him. I remember years ago, my family and I lived in Christiansburg, Virginia. And several years ago, my children went to a a private Christian school in Blacksburg, Virginia. And I remember uh, meeting for the first time the, the headmaster of the school or the principal of the school. And uh, she was a, a sweet lady and loved the Lord. And we'd gathered for this large assembly and she was meeting with parents and grandparents and potential parents. And we were potential parents at the time. But I remember the way she prayed because it was one of the weirdest things I'd ever heard in my life. 
She prayed and she talked to God and she brought these requests. And then she closed her prayer by saying, we'll talk to you later, Jesus. That's, that was the end of it. Jesus, we'll talk to you later. Jesus will talk to you. And I remember thinking, where is a holy amen? I mean, a prayer is not over until you say amen, right? It just seems so weird to me. We'll talk to you later, Jesus. What is she talking about? And then I went to another meeting another time and said the same thing. I saw her in a classroom one day teaching some kids. She again prayed, Jesus, we'll talk to you later. But what over time I began to realize that she was modeling for the students and for me was that prayer should be an ongoing conversation of relationship with God. Now, we know that personally in our lives. I mean, my, my wife and I, we get that, right? I mean, we, we get up in the morning, we have a cup of coffee, and it might take a few minutes before we have a few words. It takes me about 10 minutes to realize my name in the morning, but we'll get up, we'll have a cup of coffee, and we'll, we'll start talking. Before she leaves for the day, she normally leaves before me, we'll hug or kiss or embrace and We'll talk for a few minutes and she's going her way. And then as I'm making my way into the office, normally I'll send her a, a voice text or, or, or just a, something that says, hello, I, you know, I love you. Hope your day's going well. And then throughout the day, as there are needs that come up or concerns that come up or prayer situations, hey, we need to add this to our prayer list. I, I'll shoot her a quick message and she'll shoot me a quick message. And then uh, afternoon, I'm getting ready to go home. I'll send her another message. When I walk in the door, we embrace again. We talk. We're with our kids. We do homework and sports and all that stuff. We put the kids to bed. We put them to bed. And there we have time just to sit on the couch again and talk and connect and relate. It's literally an ongoing conversation throughout the entire day. Why? Because I love her. Why? Because I need her. And in that context, God is giving us a visual illustration. As we pray, it's an ongoing conversation where we are in relationship with him. And when we're in relationship with him, there's nothing that we won't bring to him. And frankly, it'll become the natural thing we do. We're to pray at all times in the spirit, meaning that the Holy Spirit is to be the one leading and guiding and directing the things that we should pray. So, Pastor, I don't know what to pray. Ask God to put people on your heart and mind. Well, Pastor, I don't know how to pray. Ask God to give you clarity and conviction and direction. And when you don't know, just be honest with God. It'd be amazing how God will bring people. He'll bring the who and how to pray to your heart and mind. Third thing I want you to see if we're going to stand firm in prayer is that not only should we pray through the conflict, not only should we pray as a continual ongoing conversation, but third, we should pray with certainty that God will answer. This is a biggie, isn't it? Pray with certainty that God will answer. We're not just praying and hoping for the best. We're praying with an anticipation and a confidence that God is going to hear our prayer and that he will answer according to his plan. Where do we see that? We see that in verse 18. He says, pray with prayer and all petition at all times in the spirit. And with this in view, listen to this statement. Be on the alert with all perseverance. The idea here is that we are to be keeping alert. Now, some of you would say, well, man, I need, to, I need that right now because I'm struggling to stay awake. I'm not sure if that's you this morning or not. But keeping alert is more than just staying awake. Some have said that this keeping alert means that you are alert and watchful for ways that the enemy might attack. And while I agree with that point and that principle, that's not what the scripture is saying. When the Bible says in our prayer that we're to be keeping alert, it means that we are keeping alert with an anticipation, with an expectation that God is going to answer our prayers. Watchful, vigilant, 
anticipating God's answer. Now, I have to confess to you that I don't know that I knew really how to do that until our first year of marriage, God did something in my life that reminded me of the importance of keeping alert. Heather and I were married, and quickly in our marriage, we found out that we were expecting our first child, and we went through the whole process, of course, of Heather carrying Mac and Mac growing in her womb and all those different things, and we had a due date set for him, and due date came and went, and then a week later came and went, and a second week came and went, and the doctor looked at Heather and said, we've got to take him as soon as possible. So we went over to the hospital and they hooked up Heather to these devices to monitor her health. They also hooked up a device to her to be able to measure Mac's heart rate. And they began the process of inducing her in labor. It began on a Friday evening around 5 p.m. And I remember as that process began, things happened slowly. We went through the night, Friday night. Saturday morning came around and things were still happening slowly. Saturday noon rolls around, things are still happening slowly. We get to Saturday evening and things are still barely progressing. It had been a long day. My wife would say, tell me about it, buddy. It's been a long day. And I remember the doctor saying, hey, we're going to give it this additional medication. We think that this is going to help and all these different things. But I'll just be blunt, honest with you that it, just within a matter of minutes of doing this, Mac's heart rate became, it, it was all over the place. It was spiking high and it was dropping low. It was spiking high and dropping low. In fact, it seemed like every matter of minutes, the monitors were going off, nurses were coming in, they're trying to get everything stabilized. And it was, it was a very uncertain, kind of dangerous moment. And I remember the doctor coming in and the doctor saying these words. He said, if this does not settle down, if he is not here and delivered within the next hour, we're gonna rush into an emergency C-section Here's what we're going to do. And to be clear, it would not have been the end of the world, but it certainly would have brought on some additional risk that we were very concerned about. And so we were there in the labor and delivery room. And so, and so I asked the doctor, well, what's the highest it can be and what's the lowest it can be? And the doctor told me, and I said, well, is there anything I can do? You know, I'm wanting to be this, I'm just young, ignorant dad. Well, is there anything I can do? He said, well, you're a pastor, right? I said, yep. And he said, if you're inclined to pray, now's a good time to pray. I said, all right. So I pulled up a chair beside Heather. I held her hand and my eyes were locked on that monitor. And for the next hour that frankly seems like it was a lot longer than an hour, every time Max Hartway would get to that top number, when it would start to beep, just a little bit start to beep and then the volume would increase in places of danger. When it would start to get to that danger zone, as God is my witness, I would pray and I would say, God, right now, would you touch Mac? Would you settle these things down? And as soon as I would get done talking with God, I'd begin talking to Mac. Settle down, son, you know. <laughs> Calm down, it's gonna be all right. And then it would, I'm telling you, it would stable out and then it would start to drop low. And I'd say, God, right now, would you increase his heart rate? Would you allow everything to stay alive? Son, come on, come on now. You got to be all right. You gotta, I need you to know it's excited because you're going to be playing Alabama games and all this other stuff. You got to get a strong heart rate. And that, for the next hour, I would talk to God and I would talk to Mac. I would talk to God and I would talk to Mac. It seemed like the longest hour of my life. And finally, when the doctor came back in, he assumed that really nothing would have changed. But as soon as he came in, he checked things out and he said, we're ready. Let's go. And literally within about 30 minutes, Mac was in my arms. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. It seemed like a long time at that moment. But I learned in that moment the importance of talking to God 
and watching, I'm literally, as I'm watching the numbers up and down and up and down, I was watching, alert, intent, expecting God to work and move in that moment. But looking back at it, it was kind of easy to keep alert and watchful for an hour. It's kind of easy to keep alert and watchful when I felt like my child's life was on the line. But you know, sometimes it's, it's hard to keep alert and watchful when we don't see God answering the way that we wanted, the timing that we desired. It, 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 I'm just being honest. It's hard to keep alert and watchful when we're praying so zealously, but it doesn't seem like things are happening. And yet God still calls us to pray with a certainty that God will answer as a good soldier in the Lord's army in the midst of the conflict with all prayer and petition. You pray at all times in the spirit and be on the alert with all perseverance because in a moment, God can answer. In a moment, God can move. In a moment, God can transform. In a moment, God can reveal his power in a way that you've never experienced or seen before. So he says, stick to it. You keep praying. Pray with a confidence. Pray with a certainty that I am God and with me, all things are possible. There's nothing I can't do. That's what God is saying. The final thing I want you to see if we're going to stand firm in prayer is this one simple point, and that is this. If we're going to stand firm in the battle, we must pray with concern for others. We must pray with concern for others. Paul says it this way. Be on the alert with all perseverance and petition. And I love this little word. For all the saints. But what about the ones I don't get along with? For all the saints. What about the ones that are weird? For all the saints. What about the ones that I just don't understand and we don't seem to have hardly anything in common? For all the saints. The healthy soldier who stands firm in the midst of the battle recognizes he's not called merely for serving himself. He's called to serve for the glory of God and the good of others. A healthy prayer life is balanced not only by presenting our needs to God, but also interceding for the needs of of others. In fact, in the verses that would follow in Ephesians chapter 6, even the Apostle Paul would say, and by the way, church, would you pray for me? If the Apostle Paul would so faithfully pray for others and so faithfully humbly acknowledge his own needs and request prayer, how much more should we be faithful to pray for the needs of others and to request prayer for ourselves? Galatians chapter 6, verse 10 summarizes it well. So then while we have opportunity, let us do good to all people and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Can I encourage you and can I also challenge you here today? I want to encourage us not to be a people who merely come to a worship service experience, if you will, like we have today where we've come here, we worship, we sing songs of praise, we we, we hear God's word. Hopefully we respond to what God is saying in our hearts. God never intended for us to walk through the Christian life alone. 
He didn't. I, I would encourage you to do everything that you can to connect with other believers whether that's in a community group, whether that's getting involved on a serve team to where you can connect with others, whether that means you're not rushing out of the door as soon as we say amen, you're dismissed, taking time to connect with you. So, Pastor, I'm not an extrovert and I'm not used to meeting people. Listen, we, I think it's so important. We must be a people who are connected and engaged with other believers. If we try to go it alone, like Eve, we're gonna stumble and be deceived. If we try to go it alone, we're going to reach the point where we're like David in a moment of vulnerability, going our own direction, doing our own thing. We need each other as the body of Christ for encouragement, for support, for growth, and for accountability. My hope and prayer is that we'll recognize to stand firm in prayer. God has given us a beautiful thing called the body of Christ. Whereas brothers and sisters, we belong to one another. So here's my final question, and we'll wrap up. Question is this. Where are you in this battle, this spiritual battle that's taking place today? Where are you in the battle? Are, are you one who has recognized and identified the sin in your life? and believed in Jesus that he died and rose again? Have you accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior and been enlisted as a soldier in the Lord's army? This morning, if you haven't been, I want you to know, if you've never experienced that, you can. In fact, I want you to know today that if you haven't experienced that, frankly, the devil has you right where he wants you to be. He doesn't want you to be forgiven and set free and change. He doesn't want you to experience the things that God wants to do in and through your life, but you can experience those things as you say yes to Jesus Christ and believe in him as the Lord. And so this morning, I invite you today to put your trust in Christ. But if you're here today and you have accepted Christ, you have put your faith in him, I would encourage you, don't be discouraged. There's a lot of things happening in our life, in our world, there's a lot of things that can beat us up and try to wear us down. But I want to encourage us. The Bible says, greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. Yes, we might face hardship along the way. Yes, the spiritual battle, frankly, at times it can be overwhelming and exhausting. But God is with us. He's never going to leave us or forsake us. He's not only promised to be with us, but he's already guaranteed the victory through the finished work of Jesus Christ. And so today, whatever those struggles are, whatever those fears are, whatever those insecurities are, whatever those burdens that have just been so overwhelming, I want to ask you today, would you just open your hands and surrender them to the Lord? Would you today commit to pray at all times in the Spirit? Would you today Look to God with a confident expectation that he's going to answer and move in your life. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. We praise you. We thank you for how you're working in our lives. We thank you for how you're working in this church. We give you praise for it all. And we ask you to speak to us even now. And I pray that we would respond in faith and in obedience. I pray in Jesus' name. Heads are bowed this morning right where you're sitting just in a spirit of prayer. 
I'm going to ask you two simple questions, and if they apply to you, I would just ask you to raise your hand. I want to pray with you and for you today. If you're here today and you'd say, Pastor, I am so thankful that God has saved me. I have been forgiven of my sins. I know I don't deserve it, but I'm so thankful for what God's done. But maybe you'd also acknowledge, you know, Pastor, you talk about this spiritual battle and you would just be able to say, you know, I know that it's real because I feel like I'm going through it right now. I've been struggling and I've been hurting. There've been so many attacks that have been taking place and man, it's just been so heavy. Pastor, today, I just wanna give it over to God. I just wanna open my hand to surrender to him. And man, I, I wanna have that faith and confidence again that he is going to hear and he's gonna answer and he's gonna move. Pastor, I'm in the middle of it. And I'm gonna trust God for the victory today. If that's you this morning, right where you are, would you just quietly slip up your hand high and keep it high for just a moment? Pastor, that is me. I've been saved, but I am going through a battle. Heavenly Father, you see every hand that is raised right now in this moment. You know every hurt. You know every fear. God, you know every, every even frustration. And, and God, I, I confess that there have been times in those battles that I, I get frustrated with you when things don't go the way I think they should. But God, you are God and we aren't. So, Father, I pray that you would be with them in this season. Father, help them to trust you and help them to draw near to you and not to give in to the lies of the enemy. Father, you do love, you do care, you do hear, and you will answer. And so, God, I pray that you would encourage them today in their time of difficulty to trust you and to bring every concern to you, knowing that you are a good and gracious Father who cares for us. Father, encourage these today, I pray. Thank you so much for taking time to listen to this podcast. We encourage you to come and join us right here on our campus. We're located right next to the county fairgrounds here in Harrisonburg, Virginia. If you have any questions about the church, any question about the message, feel free to email us or call us and let us know. And we look forward to seeing you soon. God bless you.